And then we're going to go in to talk a little bit more about faith groups. Lord, we love you and we are honoring you because you are worth honoring. Lord, if there's anything that we know, you are good. And every way of yours is good. So, Lord, we're asking today that you would open our eyes to see you and our ears to hear you and our minds to understand you and let our lives bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, again, I want to honor Michael and Aaron. I mean, these folks aren't just uh, sitting around. They've got major responsibilities in life. And actually, uh, he'd kill me for telling you, but he's he works at Merck, Michael, and he's had a couple of promotions managerially. And we were like, are you sure you can do this? And, and Aaron does more work than he does. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know. But the point of the matter is, they said, yes, absolutely. We, we want to give our lives to what God's doing here. And uh, they are a prime example of what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, and uh, let's talk about it. We're going to talk today about faith groups. And uh, the name, a real simple, succinct word for the small groups that we have here uh, at Community of Faith called faith groups is Families on mission. Say that. Families on mission. Right? That's a very simple way of saying it, but that is clearly uh, what uh, God is doing with us. We're going to be discussing these small groups, which we call faith groups at Community of Faith. And um, we're going to observe today through Scripture how these these small groups that we have... uh, are not just a fad, they're not just a good idea or a program, but they are truly uh, God-ordained to be families of people on a mission uh, in God, to love God, love one another, and love those who do not know Jesus. And, um, you know, uh, we at CFCF are hoping that you will find a place with a family that you can live in deep community with and accomplish something great in God together. I'm excited, by the way, for you college students today, uh, because you have, if you come and choose Community of Faith Christian Fellowship as your home, uh, you have all kinds of nephews and nieces and parts of your family. We have anywhere between, I'm going to go, the low number's 10, the high number's 15 women pregnant at this time at CFCF, uh, Matt and Kendra, I mean Matt and Kendra. Matt and Cassie, our uh, young adults pastors, just had a baby this week. Uh, so one number down from there. But, um, but it is really encouraging that you, this has everything to do with, with you as students, you as young adults here in this, that we're all growing to be a family in God, loving Jesus. Uh, we're not in a competition with one another, but we're in coordination uh, with one another to love God. You know, as I was thinking about the subject of living in faith groups as families on a mission, uh, it came to my mind, uh, uh, I had a, a wonderful memory, and that memory was of my grandparents. Uh, my grandfather, Pierce McClendon, lived to be 99 years old, and uh, my grandmother, Gladys, lived to be about 93. But one thing um, uh, that I uh, observed from them uh, in my growing up years was that they were a family on mission. And uh, there were three things about them that were distinctive. They were devoted to working hard. I mean, we'll talk about that. They were devoted to that. They had that work ethic. They also, though, they enjoyed life to the full. They had a joy about living life. And they provided for the needs 
of others. They did that in such a wonderful way. I want to talk just a little bit, break that down for you. First of all, my grandparents were devoted to working hard. They had a really, really strong worth ethic. And it it troubled me at times because I went to go visit them and I I came into that work ethic. I had to learn it. Uh, This is my grandfather, my grandpa Pierce. I love that name. Uh, I love that name, Pierce. Good name. We have one here today. My grandpa Pierce was a beast. I mean, he was 85 years old working 12 hours out in the 100 degree heat in Texas on the farm. And uh, I couldn't, I mean, he scared me to death. He was a wonderful man, but he worked hard his whole life. 31 years, he was a postman in Dallas, uh, Texas. And, uh... And uh, for a number of years, he was uh, grand secretary for uh, a large organization uh, called the Odd Fellows. And then for the last part of his life, for the last 20 to 25 years, um, before he went to a nursing home for a for just a short time before his death, he worked out on the farm. It was his dream to get back there. That's where he'd been. And he worked hard. And my grandmother worked hard, too. Man, she could whip up. I mean, she could whip up a cobbler in 30 minutes, that lady. She could do it, man. They were awesome people. Anyway, my grandfather, um, he's the one that, if you remember, uh, made fun of me for being a city kid. I was born in Dallas. Big D-A-L-L-A-S. I was born there, raised there, and uh, was not, you know, super... um, uh, farmish, but he taught me that, uh, we, we were on the farm, we were cutting mesquite trees. Anybody out there ever cut a mesquite tree? Oh, goodness gracious. I got a lot of names for a mesquite tree. Most of them I can't say here. Now those things have, have thorns on them. They are, a, they will destroy things. They will destroy you when you cut them, but we would cut down those trees. We would mend fences. Yes, actually mend fences, uh, using, uh, various contraptions and uh, we would do, you know, everything around the farm. Um, and, uh, branded cattle even, isn't it amazing? We'd brand a few cattle. He had a small operation, but I was a part of everything and he worked and worked and worked. Um, but he loved to do it. He used to make fun of me. Um, he had a gallon of, of, of water in his truck, you know. <laughs> he carried it around 105 degree heat, you know, in, in the middle of Texas in the summer. And uh, and he would just open that thing up and drink it. You know, he used to make fun of me. Oh, you're addicted to Dr. Pepper, Jeff. You can't live out here with the, you know, anyway. But he, he, was, uh, he was a hard worker. And needless to say... Uh, both of my grandparents had a strong, strong work ethic and devoted themselves to that. The second thing, though, is they enjoyed life to the full. I mean, they enjoyed their life. It was not all dull drudgery for them. They had quite a bit of fun. My grandparents uh, exhibited joy and accepted people for who they were. It was an amazing thing. People loved to be with them because my grandparents enjoyed life. Right? I probably wouldn't have gone out working so hard if I hadn't enjoyed life so much. There's something to that. But anyway, they had a player piano out at the farm when I was there growing up as a kid. My grandpa would put a quarter in it and, you know, he'd start dancing with the kids and have all kinds of fun. He'd sing all kinds of old, old songs. You get a line and I'll get a pole, honey. You get a line and I'll get a pole, babe. 
You get a line and I'll get a pole and we'll go down to the crawdad hole, honey, baby mine. Anyway, I won't go on with the rest of it. But just jokes galore. My grandpa, man and grandma, they could bowl. My grandpa lived, was a little healthier toward the end of his life. I never beat him in bowling. I was so frustrated because I thought I'd get him eventually. 85 years old, he bowls a 239 on me, the guy. Could barely see. He had macular degeneration. He was, you know, <laughs> but he could see those little arrows down there. And he kicked my tail. And he liked it, too. I mean, they played 42. My grandpa, anybody who knows about 42, the domino game would go straight to 84, you know. But there was so much fun around their house. It was a joy to be with them. He loved I Love Lucy. I probably saw almost every I Love Lucy show ever, you know. And uh, <clears throat> you just keep on. My, my grandmother uh, was such a joy and such a kind woman as well. Um, they loved ice cream. That's where I got it from. And uh, Bluebell. Anybody had that? It's not up here these days, but... Oh, it's pretty darn good, PTD. But anyway, um, <laughs> my grandpa and I would sneak an extra bowl when grandma wasn't looking of that uh, bluebell. Anyway, so they, my grandparents worked very hard. And their, to be in their family was to have a strong work ethic. But also to be in their family was to have fun. We had great joy in so many things. I have so many sweet memories. But the third thing about them that made them unique as a family was that they were, um, they provided for the needs of other people around them. They had such a heart for those who are on the outside of the blessing of family. They uh, took care of orphans. Uh, before they moved out to the farm, when I was really young, they used to take care of orphans in Corsicana, Texas. Uh, if any of you have ever eaten uh, a... a uh, the cakes from uh, Collins Street Bakery, the fruit cakes, that's Corsicana. You probably won't remember too much else from there. But, um, but they, they would take care of the orphans. They would go by the, the Collins Street Bakery, pick up all the extra uh, food that was left over, take it over to the orphans. They were always caring for someone. They kept, um, they kept foster children in their home. I remember specifically one little girl named Amy. Uh, it was a little blonde girl, you know, and uh, they kept her. They were in their 60s at this time, 60s going on. They didn't have to do this, but their hearts overflowed to care for the needs of others. One specific thing uh, that was relayed to me was um, uh, on a summer, they had moved out from Corsicana to Dawson, Texas, which was 20 miles outside on a farm. They moved there in their 70s, like I said. My grandfather worked for 20 some odd years, but um, out there. <clears throat> but during that retirement, one day they told their son, they were talking to their son Dale on the phone, and they told him, we feel like Jesus just came by the farm. And so Dale was like, what? What happened here? Well, they explained it this way. Uh, they said that a man of about 30 years old was walking down the road, and he didn't have any shoes on, and he was really in rough shape. He was walking from Dawson to Corsicana. That's a long Long trip <clears throat> there. But anyway, he came up to their house and he asked for a drink of water. My grandparents not only gave him a drink of water, they asked him if they could wash his feet. So my grandfather washed his feet, cleaned him up, and he uh, also, um, they realized not having any shoes, he took a pair of my <laughs> um, uncle's um, old army boots and put them, on, uh, put them on this man, gave him these boots... Uh, because it was close to his size, gave him something to eat, and sent him on his way. 
That's the kind of people they were. My grandparents lived as a family on mission. That's partly what we're going to look at today. That is what we're going to look at today as we look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That is being a family devoted to working hard, enjoying life to the full. Anybody want that? Anybody want enjoying life to the full? Okay, yeah. All right. You, you want it more than you think. And they provide for the needs of others. Let's look at this real quickly. We all have a desire to be part of a family. It's just innate within us. God, the Father, created us as a people to be a part of family. And we all somewhere in us have a yearning and a desire to be a part of a family. Um, that's why it is such a temptation for those who grow up in a rough area of town. Not just a rough area, some not so rough areas, but gangs are so uh, popular in certain areas because they provide a sense of identity, a sense of family, and a sense of purpose, right? Um, that's why so many people that are in college or uh, that, that are, are um, growing into their adult years look for some sort of civic group or fraternity or sorority to be involved in because everybody wants to be a part of family. They want to be, a, the, the being a part of family on mission is at the core of our small groups here at Community of Faith. Uh, they're called faith groups. And I, I want to um, uh, just uh, look now at this passage from the Bible in Acts 2, 42 through 47, which describes the early church. And um, that's right after Jesus rose again from the grave and, and um, the, the uh, release of the church. Um, this book of Acts, it's in the New Testament, okay? There's two testaments or covenants, really. The Old Testament, which has 39 books in the Bible, which is before Jesus, B.C., if you'll have it. And then there are 27 books in the New Testament, the New Covenant, which are include Christ and after Christ and in Christ. He is the fullness of everything. So you've got before Christ in the first 39 books. Then you have the first four books, which we've been looking at in our parables of Jesus uh, uh, series uh, that are called gospels or good news telling about the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. What we're looking at today in the book of Acts is the acts of the church that was commissioned by Jesus. The people, when Jesus rose again from the dead, he, over a period of 40 days, he appeared to the disciples and he gave them many convincing proofs, as it says, that he was alive before he ascended to heaven. And then the Holy Spirit came down. So in Acts chapter 2, Jesus had said to his disciples, the new church, he said, go to Jerusalem, wait to be empowered with the Spirit. Wait until you get this power. Well, this is what this Acts chapter 2 is. They're together, 120 of them in an upper room. They're praying. They're, they're calling out to God. They're, they're spending time together. And then what happens? Kaboom! God's Holy Spirit comes down on them. Tongues of fire, as it seems, came down upon them. They spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And um, they preached the good news of Jesus Christ in power. And 3,000 people came to Jesus in one day. One sermon. Pretty good sermon there, Peter. Holy Spirit. Talk about Holy Spirit. Rain comes here. Thanks for the illustration, God. <laughs> Um, so this is right at that point where 3,000 people get saved. Now, a lot of you who are not in ministry are, are I mean, woo, that's exciting. For me, that's exciting and slightly depressing. 
3,000 people, not depressing that there's 3,000 people that got saved, but how do you manage that? (laughs) How do you work with that? How do you keep everybody growing and in life? And this is where it comes in with the small groups. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we're going to look at how the early church operated as a family on mission. All right? Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says here of this this group that has just received Christ, 3,000 added plus the 120 plus uh, uh, any other believers around there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued meeting together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Let's break this down just a little bit and, and observe through looking at the early church how they worked hard, they enjoyed life to the full, And they cared for the needs of those around them. And then we'll talk about a bonus that comes as a result of that. The first thing is that the early church worked hard. Worked hard, that means they were devoted, right? Being devoted. This devotion was they didn't take the things of God. They didn't take the the life uh, with His people uh, casually. They were, as we've spoken in our Parables of Jesus series of the last ten weeks, devoted followers. Those who were not just casual observers. But the first word we see in this passage, let's read it here. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and great uh, signs performed by the apostles. Actually, the... The second word (laughs) that we see in this passage, but the first key word is they, right? It was they. We live in an individualistic society in a lot of ways. And, um, but the power of the early church was that they operated together in tight knit community. They didn't live as isolated beings, but they lived together in tight knit community. They. They devoted themselves, not I devoted myself, and if you want to come along, it's okay, or you guys devote yourselves, I'm going to devote myself. They devoted themselves, okay? So the the next word of importance, though, is that word devoted. You cannot be devoted to something without commitment. These people in the early church, they had such a passion for Jesus. They were, the, the 3,000 had just come to an understanding that their sins were forgiven by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. They knew that their entire lives would never be the same uh, as they followed God. And um, the, the ones that were teaching them, the 120, uh, the, the people that Jesus had appeared to had been ruined for the ordinary by the re- realization of who Jesus was. And so these folks were devoted. They were committed to giving themselves. They gave time, right? We talked about that with Michael and Aaron. I mean, it's above and beyond to me, but these are people who are devoted. They gave time and energy to love God and to love each other. They were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. 
I like fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. I love breaking of bread. (laughs) And prayer. And um, at least three of these four things are done better in small groups than in a large group setting. It says that as the passage that Aaron read, that they met in the temple, but they also met house to house. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about our faith groups, about small groups. They, um, so they were devoted. You know, um, even teaching, the one gift that, that can be more... Uh, can be very effective and powerful in a larger setting, um, has a wonderful uh, place in the smaller group. You know, I can teach on a Sunday morning, but not many of you are getting to teach. But in our smaller groups, in our faith groups, everyone can play a role in teaching, learning, and encouraging one another. So they were devoted. This was a devoted community of faith. They were not half-hearted, right? Um, uh, a friend of mine, Jamie Uh, Lash, who teaches at Dallas Baptist University, he says it this way, concentration is the key to power. Concentration is the key to power. If I'm doing everything, if I'm a jack of all trades, I'm a master of none, right? And there's a place where people, of course, you have different things going on in life, but where people pare their lives down to a point of saying, I'm going to devote myself to God. I'm going to devote myself to Him and the community He's given. The second thing is that the early church lived life to the full. They enjoyed life. Amen. They broke bread in their homes, it says here in this passage, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Meeting together, committing, even the hard work of being committed to, to, to um, reading God's Scripture and praying and, and, and living life together and sacrificing. Even in the midst of all that, there was an incredible hilarity of life, a joy in life. Nobody wants to join a group that's sad. Please don't be sad. I mean, I understand we all get sad. But please live your life with joy. These people had joy. They had a contagious joy about them that um, touched those around them. The early church um, uh, had a glad and a sincere heart. How's your heart doing today? I pray that as we meet together in our small groups, that we become glad and sincere in our hearts greater than ever before. Um, And that life would not be just a mere drudgery, but a joy. They were overflowing. This joy resulted, it says in the Scripture, in praising God. Man, my son received Christ a week ago. Praise Jesus. He's four years old. Yes, he received Jesus. He knows what's going on. Because the other day he said, yes, Dad. Uh, We said, hey, you used to be afraid of this certain thing. He said, yes, uh, I'm not. Uh, And we said, but you were this time. He said, yes, that was before Jesus was in my heart. Well, he understands what's going on, right? But the point of it, praise results from this relationship with God and with his people. Yesterday, he's in the back seat. He's saying, Dad and Mom, I made up a song. God, thank you for the trees and for the grass you made. I mean, it was the best song I've ever heard. He is bubbling over with joy because he knows God. If I'm ever, um, well, yeah, okay. They were also, though, let me make this clear, deeply persecuted for their faith. Okay? I'm not joking around here. It's not just Jesus the happy pill. Solve all my problems. I got no problems anymore. Just ignore all the tough things of life. They were deeply persecuted. But that persecution could not overcome the joy of God deeply, which welled in them saying, I have a Savior who has forgiven me of every sin. I have a community that I can give my life to and walk with day by day. 
And I have an opportunity to give my life for the sakes of others. Praise His holy name. They were a tight-knit community. Um, and it wasn't a drudgery for them to walk in this tight-knit community. It was a joy. Of course, sometimes it's a drudgery. <laughs> you have to work uh, to have a marriage. Anybody married out there? Anybody learn that it takes a little bit of work to live in that tight-knit community? But the joy is so much greater. The early church also provided for the needs of others. You see this? They worked hard. They were devoted to them, to, to giving themselves to God, giving themselves in relationship to one another. They, they lived their lives to the full. They, they praised God. They ate food together. They laughed. They told funny stories in the midst of the Holy Spirit. They enjoyed everything good about God. And then they provided for the needs of others. They gave to anyone that had need. Let's read it here. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and they gave it to anyone who had need. Wow. The early church was generous. They weren't generous because they had to be. They were generous because they could be. <laughs> you see, that's a real key spiritually for all of us here today. The spiritual life is not a have to. You don't have to pray. You get to pray because God made the way through Jesus. You don't have to, to go to a small group, faith group, whatever you want to call, whatever group you want to call it. You get to be together with others who love Jesus. You don't have to forgive people. You get to forgive them and not hang on to the bitterness of life. It is a joy to live in this life for God. And, uh, but they, this overflowed, this self-sacrificing community overflowed and took care of the needs of everyone around them. As we discussed several weeks ago, we, we've been looking, as I said, through the parables of Jesus. And as we looked there, we looked at the parable of the mustard seed. And in that parable of the mustard seed, the, the key there uh, that Jesus was getting was that the kingdom of God starts small, it grows big, and it provides for many. You see, God's blessing us in community to bless other people. There's a full joy in that. Another point I want to mention, though, is this byproduct. I don't know even if you could call it a byproduct, but I want to, I could put it in the four points, but I'll say a byproduct, an outworking of these people devoting themselves to God and one another. These people living their lives to the full and enjoying what God had given them. These people providing for the needs of others was that the early church continually grew. It grew continually. And it grew with people who did not know Jesus coming to know Jesus. It says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We have a dear friend in our family the other day. She does not know Christ yet. But she said to us the other day, first time she's ever asked a question, she said, What's, what is salvation? <laughs> and I said, Oh, that's just a great question. We explained that, that because of sin... We are separated from God. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God in the garden, it put a wall of separation because God is holy. He is whole. He is perfect. He cannot have sin in His presence. Because, but it explained that salvation is that because Jesus died and bled on a cross, a perfect Savior that sinned not, took our sin and rose again from the dead. Daily, people were coming to know that Jesus Christ had died for them and risen again so they could have new life. This group of people were added to daily. People were coming to know Jesus and being added to this group. There was a natural overflow of the other elements of working hard, 
uh, loving their lives and providing for the needs of others in large as well as small groups and house to house. And people were coming to know Jesus. You want to talk about a contagious Christianity. You want to talk about a create contagious faith. It's a group of people committed to loving God with all of our hearts, sacrificially giving ourselves to loving one another and, and, and letting it spill over to everyone around us in word of the good news of Jesus and in deed. It is an incredible thing. You know, to those who are seekers here today, I'm thrilled you've chosen to be here today. If you're seeking to know God, you don't have a relationship with God. I love that you're here. I love that you're seeking to know more. And I want to encourage you with this. Uh, this I want to invite you into a family on mission. One of our small groups. I want to invite you to go this week if you're seeking and to be a part. Nobody is going to um, uh, going to try to embarrass you or do anything of any sort. We're going to love you. And uh, we're all on a growth curve. But I want to encourage you to ask your questions about faith in the midst of a life-giving community. And let's discover together. I'm believing you. Uh, that we really are going to see many, many people, even those in this room, come to faith in Jesus Christ and know that your sins are forgiven, that you have a new life. These groups are not just for spiritual all-stars. How about, that's good. <laughs> it's for real people. That's what these faith groups are for. Real people who want to experience God's love and to see His family on mission to a broken and a hurting world. Don't you want to be a part of a family that's reaching others and, and enjoying life, doing it, and making a difference for all eternity? What could Boston and the surrounding areas look like with hundreds of these little faith groups, these families on mission all over the place, spread throughout every neighborhood, every campus, every workplace? What would it look like if we were committed to working hard, not, not drudgery, but, but devoting ourselves to God and to His people? What, if, what would it look like if we were to live our lives to the full and hilarity in God, um, just enjoying our lives together and what He's given us and provided for the needs of others until everyone in our city has an opportunity and a chance to be touched by these families on mission. That's a goal of mine. I want every person in Boston, the surrounding area, to have an opportunity to experience a family of people in God, loving Him and on mission for the purpose of God. When we say on mission, I don't mean uh, some, uh, you know, wearing a pith helmet in Africa um, as a missionary. What I mean on mission, meaning living our lives with holy purpose for God and living beyond and saying no to the desires of the world so that we can say yes to all the desires of heaven. It's my prayer that as we enter in this new season, that our commitment to God and each other would deepen through these faith groups, through these families on mission, and that our impact would be more powerful than we've had it ever before. I invite you, come on and be a part of what God's doing. Are these, are these groups perfect? Absolutely not. I go to them. <laughs> if I'm in them, they're not perfect. And I can guarantee you, you too. None of us are perfect. None of our groups are perfect. Don't look for the perfect group. Look at the perfect God and go with the people He gives you to walk with. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you so much today that you are good to us. We honor you and um, we praise you because you've been good. Everything about you is 
fantastic, God. We thank you that you desire for us to be devoted to you, not out of, I have to do this, but out of a joy in our hearts of knowing what you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would be those who enjoy our lives, not, not having to do something carnal or crass or, or, uh, uh, unholy, but, but people who enjoy the life you've given us and that out of that so many people would get, would get touched with your love and then so many people would come to know Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we honor you in your holy name. Amen. One thing we're going to do today is I want to ask, uh, some of our families have been asked to come forward today and we're going to, the, the band is going to sing one song, uh, and, um, and we're going to um, we're going to pray for those. If you have a need for physical healing today, we believe Jesus died on the cross that you might receive that. If you have a need for emotional healing, if you have a need or desire to know more about what it means to know Jesus or to live in relationship with him, I just want to invite you to come. Come on down, prayer team. Where are you? Here they are. And uh, and you can come. These people will not bite you. They will not hurt you. They will not push you over. They will not do anything. They are here to love you, to care for you, and to encourage you. And if you, if you desire to turn to someone near you, maybe God has a word of encouragement or prayer. As the band plays, I just want to invite you. If you have a physical need, why don't you just walk down right now? Just come on down now. If you have a physical need, you're saying, I need God to bring healing. We heard a testimony last week about someone, their meniscus being healed um, by God's grace and power. If you have that need, come on down right now. If you have an emotional need, oh golly, (laughs) probably tear you up to come down in front of all of us if you have an emotional need. You can come down in front of us or you can sneak down, I don't care, but come and get prayed for if you have an emotional need. If you have a family member that's going through a trial, come on, we want to pray for you today. And these aren't the only ones that can pray. Turn to different ones around you. But let's love God with all of our hearts. Let's, let's love one another with all of our hearts. And let's let it spill out under our city. Let's let our city of Boston be glad that we met together today. In Jesus' name. Come forward and pray and turn and pray for one another as the band plays.